Attorney General Barr uh, said that he had, quote, not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. Do you agree with Attorney General Barr's statement that there is absolutely no evidence of voter fraud that could have changed the outcome of the 2020 presidential election? I agree with Attorney General Barr. And, and to be crystal clear on this, as FBI director, who is these would be federal crimes, you're aware of no evidence of widespread voter fraud in the 2020 presidential election, correct? Uh, we are not aware of, of any widespread evidence of voter fraud, much less that would have affected the outcome in the presidential election. Racially motivated violent extremism, specifically of the sort that advocates for the superiority of the white race, uh, is a persistent, evolving threat. It's the biggest chunk of our racially motivated violent extremism cases, for sure. Uh, and, it, and racially motivated violent extremism is the biggest chunk of our domestic terrorism portfolio, if you will, overall. and welcome to The Breathing Room, a space where people of color and faith can come together to have our lived experiences acknowledged, to witness each other's journey, and to take a collective deep breath. My name is Kevin Holland. This is episode three, and the title is, If You Didn't See It Coming, You Weren't Paying Attention, The Insurrection and the Normalizing of Trauma. Ade's son Tayo was flying in the LAX on January 6th, and he was looking at the televisions and wondering why they were showing White House down. And then he realized, as we all did, that there was an insurrection at the Capitol, that it had been overrun. Those of us that have visited D.C. before and have taken tours of the White House or Capitol know that they are the most secure places on Earth, and you can't walk five feet without somebody watching you or restraining you and there's all kinds of security. And so it was a surreal sight that none of us will ever forget. Historians a hundred years and beyond from now will be remarking on just how unusual and traumatizing and significant that event was. Tim Alberta is the chief political correspondent at Politico magazine. And on January 7th, he wrote an article entitled, January 6 was nine weeks and four years in the making. I posted a link to that article and the following words on my social media platforms on January 7th. Speak out for justice, Proverbs 31 verse 9. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. John Lewis. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Sedition. Conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or monarch. The last time the U.S. Capitol was stormed was by the British soldiers in 1814 during the War of 1812. Yesterday was the first time it was done by American citizens. The loss of life, injuries, injustices, hatred, animus, and desecrations we saw yesterday 
did not happen in a vacuum or by happenstance. The person that incited this, those that have enabled him, and those who harmed others were wrong and need to be held to account. The difference in the treatment of the white rioters yesterday and protesters of color in 2020 couldn't be more stark and was white supremacy and privilege on full display. It's time for people of faith to call it what it is and deal with it. May justice be done in this situation and may healing begin somehow. Spirit, lead us. So today I want to talk about how we got here and why it matters and why it's significant to Americans in general, to people of color that are Americans, and to people of color and faith that live in this country. There are three words that come to mind when I think about how we got to January 6th. They are deceit, denial, and demagoguery. A demagogue is a leader who makes use of popular prejudices and false claims and promises in order to gain power. We live in an era of truth decay, and in some ways, society has always been that which questions truth, even thinking back to Pilate in John 18, where he asks Jesus, what is truth? Certainly, we live in an era that could be accurately described as post-truth. The concept of alternate facts, alternate realities are commonplace in how we think nowadays. 20th century United States Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan said, you're entitled to your own opinions, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Now, people are very much entitled to their own facts and create them at any moment. There was a front page article in the Washington Post on January 20th of this year, the day of the inauguration. And the headline read, in four years, President Trump made 30,573 false or misleading claims. Now that number is a mind blower. 30,573. I can't go through 30,000, but I want to show how the cumulative effect of the erosion of truth is one of the factors, one of the building blocks, one of the bricks uh, upon which this destructive wall was built. The first one that I remember was back in 2011 when the racist lie that Barack Obama was not born in Hawaii or not born in America was uh, that that conspiracy theory and lie was promoted by the most recently defeated former president. Another one I remember during the 2015 campaign is that a wall was going to be built along our southern border and that Mexico was going to pay for it. A third lie was that the most recently defeated former president said he would be happy to release his taxes, except that they were under audit. Shortly after the election of 2016, the press secretary for the former administration said that the inauguration crowd was the largest ever, and it was larger than Obama's crowd, which was plainly false because all you had to do was look at pictures of the 2008 inauguration and the 2016 inauguration to see. In November of 2018, the former president lied and accused his predecessor, President Obama, of separating children from families. He was trying to deflect, as usual, from the evil policy enacted by his administration of separating and orphaning hundreds of children and separating families at the border. Actually, thousands of children were separated from their parents under his administration, and now several hundred 
still are not with their families. And uh, you can just imagine the trauma inflicted on thousands of families, children, toddlers, infants, and those that are older. Bob Woodward, famous journalist, interviewed the former most recently defeated president back last year over several months. And I remember hearing, and probably you did too, audio recordings of these interviews where the former president explained to Mr. Woodward that the coronavirus was lethal and dangerous and affected young people as well as those that were older, but that he intentionally downplayed it because he didn't want to panic the nation. And so some of the most, uh, what ended up to be lethal lies were saying that the coronavirus was a hoax, that it was a democratic ploy, that it wasn't serious, that it was like the flu, that it would go away easily and quickly, and that there was nothing to worry about. I think it was in early 2018 when he said that President Obama had tapped his wires, which was his way of saying that the Obama administration had put him under illegal surveillance, which was not true. And then ahead of the 2018 midterm elections, he claimed that there was a caravan of gangs and people that were looking to do the United States harm coming up from our southern border so much that in a military unit, a United States military unit was dispatched to defend our border, even though there was no such caravan and there was no threat. Ahead of the 2020 election, the normal operations of the U.S. Post Office were disrupted because he told the lie that there was widespread fraud, voter fraud, and that mail-in voting was inherently corrupt and was not above board and so needed to be curtailed, even though he and his staff and many others voted by mail. And even though certain states have vote by mail exclusively, that's that's the only way you can vote. And that there was no basis, no, no fact behind it, that in fact, mail-in voting is just as secure as in-person voting. In the aftermath of the 2020 election, in December, after 60 cases had been brought by Republicans in various states questioning the validity of the election results and alleging voter fraud, all of these cases were dismissed and were found to be groundless and to have no basis in reality. Still, after that, absurdly, the Texas Attorney General and 17 other attorneys general, along with 106 congressmen, filed a suit against the states of Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, alleging that their state officials violated constitutional provisions in the way they conducted their state elections, illegally altered election laws, and they said that they removed ballot integrity measures, which impacted other states by reportedly impacting the outcome of the election. They were basically saying that these states that had already certified their elections were somehow corrupt and dishonest. The sad and evil part of this is that all the people that perpetrated this absurd act, which fortunately the Supreme Court rejected, knew that it was a lie, knew that it was a charade, but found benefit in amplifying the former president's lie that the election had been stolen. And the seeds of that grievance and animus were watered and were cultivated because of this action. Deceit in the cacophony of nonstop lying to create an environment where there is no up, there is no down, 
Left is right, right is left, nothing's true, and the only thing that can be counted on is what the leader says, which is an authoritarian ploy that you never thought would take root in America. We see denial in the fact that though all the election results of each state were certified, and there were multiple counts in all the states, and everybody clearly knows who won the election, there are still people who have been fed lies for so long that they would rather live in denial and in conspiracy theory than in truth. And therefore, I don't know what percentage it is the last time I heard 70 some percent of Republicans in the United States believe that Joe Biden's presidential victory was illegitimate and that Trump was cheated out of the presidency to this day. And that is the fruit of this ecosystem of misinformation that has been created and has been enabled by those who knew better all along, who by putting their head in the sand and looking the other way and gaslighting and denying and both sidesing and whataboutting and minimizing and rationalizing, and most of all, staying silent. There is responsibility because things would not have gotten to this point were it not for that enabling. So from 2015 on, authoritarian demagoguery has been on full display and has been enabled, which is what ultimately led to the Capitol. So now we've come full circle back to the insurrection on January 6th. Here are some tweets from the most recently defeated former president leading up to January 6th. On December 18th of 2020, he tweeted, Republican senators have to get tougher or you won't have a Republican party anymore. We won the presidential election by a lot. Fight for it. Don't let them take it away. On December 12th, wow, thousands of people forming in Washington, D.C. for Stop the Steal. December 26th. The Justice Department and the FBI have done nothing about the 2020 presidential election voter fraud, the biggest scam in our nation's history. Despite overwhelming evidence, they should be ashamed. History will remember. Never give up. See everyone in D.C. on January 6th. On January 1st, he tweeted, The big protest rally in Washington, D.C. will take place at 11 a.m. on January 6th. Details to follow. Stop the steal. On January 6th, he said, Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore, and that's what it's all about. To use a favorite term that all of you people really came up with, we will stop the steal. Then the crowd later chanted, fight for Trump, fight for Trump, fight for Trump. Ben Sass is a senator representing the state of Nebraska. He wrote this on Facebook on December 30th, 2020. What happens on January 6th? In November, 160 million Americans voted. On December 14th, members of the Electoral College spread across all 50 states and the District of Columbia assembled to cast their votes to confirm the winning candidate. And on January 6th, the Congress will gather together to formally count the Electoral College votes and bring this process to a close. Some members of the House and the Senate are apparently going to object to counting the votes of some states that were won by Joe Biden. Just like the rest of Senate Republicans, I have been approached by many Nebraskans demanding that I join this project. Having been in private conversations with two dozen of my colleagues over the past few weeks, it seems useful to explain in public why I will not be participating in a project to overturn the election and why I have been urging my colleagues also to reject this dangerous ploy. Sass went on to say, do any of your colleagues disagree with you about this? When I talk in private, I haven't heard a single congressional Republican allege that the election results were fraudulent. Not one. Instead, I hear them talk about their worries about how they will look to President Trump's most ardent supporters. 
Is there evidence of voter fraud so widespread that it could have changed the outcome of the presidential election? No. So now we're back to where we started, the insurrection and the normalizing of trauma. So we've seen that deceit, denial, and demagoguery have led us to this point. And so what did we see on the 6th? Again, I think the past four years in particular have caused a numbing of the senses. There's been so much abhorrent behavior that has been condoned by the highest government officials in the land. It's been normalized so that what was once absurd and inconceivable is now mundane and we just kind of go past it. I think we probably feel that way some about the insurrection, but I just want us to take a, take a step back and think about this. Never in the history of the country has the Capitol been overrun by American citizens. Never has there been the level of vitriol and violence that thousands of people would storm the Capitol. There were people that were violent. A policeman was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher, with an American flag. And, you know, for all of the the people that were uh, really expressing support for the police. And we all want all law enforcement officers and public servants to have the protection they need. And their lives matter just as much as anyone's life matters. And they do put themselves in harm's way. But there is an element of law enforcement that is corrupt. In fact, data is showing the further we get away from the insurrection, that there was some military and law enforcement personnel that were involved in the insurrection which is just chilling. But it's interesting that those who were standing up for blue lives during 2020 are silent when it comes to this mob taking a blue life. In addition to that, we saw people praying. We saw Jesus saves signs. We, we saw a Confederate flag. And interestingly, the Confederacy never made its way to D.C. and never overran the Capitol. And so this was the first time, to my knowledge, a Confederate flag was ever flown in the Capitol. And in 2021, think about how absurd that is. Think about what that says. And many people have been commenting for years that the former president trafficked in racial animus and white grievance in a way that would make George Wallace blush, and that he had been stoking a cold civil war. Jim Mattis, the former Republican Secretary of Defense who was in the Trump administration, even said that he has never seen a president like this one that never tries to unify, that always tries to divide. So the seeds of division and animus have borne fruit and had been long planted and watered and nurtured. And we saw just the desecration of property. We saw people walking in and police just letting them come in. Uh, We saw incredible vandalism. They're looking for Nancy Pelosi. They're chanting, hang Mike Pence. In another shameful act, eight Republican senators, including Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, and 139 members of the House of Representatives objected to the Electoral College results in some of the states, including Arizona and Pennsylvania, even after the insurrection, after the riot. They were still voting to nullify the votes of millions of people of color in swing states and urban areas. People around the world and in our country, we're still traumatized. We're still shot. We still can't believe what happened and what it says. And of course, the United States has an evil, shameful history of racial domestic terrorism. 
obviously in its most intense form in slavery, but then during Reconstruction through Jim Crow, mass lynchings, killing of unarmed black people by law enforcement, etc., etc. Let's call it what it is. It's domestic terrorism and it's on the rise. In fact, Al-Qaeda and ISIS are no longer the number one terrorism threat in the United States. The DHS stated in October and then reiterated in January that the number one threat to the homeland, to citizens of the United States of America, is domestic white supremacist extremist terrorists. That's the number one threat. And it has been growing. And we have been many of us have been saying it, that Trump has been stoking it, the the animus the violent rhetoric, the disrespect, the dehumanizing of groups by uh, Trump and his followers during four and a half years of rallies, those things that have been planted, what do you think they would produce? As Paul said to the Galatians, you do reap what you sow. And we have seen, we are reaping what some in our society have sown. And the question is, are we going to practice a Put my head in the sand, Christianity, a look the other way, Christianity, a walk by on the other side, Christianity. Or are we going to call it what it is and deal with it? And are Christians, those that love their neighbor as they love themselves, who focus on justice and mercy and faithfulness as the most important matters of the law, as Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. When Jesus announced his ministry in Luke 4, he said, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, releasing of the oppressed. That's supposed to be what we're about. And are we not going to speak up in this time? Are we are, are we just going to be silent, which really is complicity? So that's where we are. And the Spirit put on my heart, creating a forum where people of color and faith can talk honestly about issues of race and sociopolitical issues because they all affect us. We can't pretend that those are not spiritual issues. Everything is spiritual. And I will tell you personally for me, our political discourse, the having of a racist, white supremacist, incompetent, amoral, immoral, serially dishonest, malignantly narcissistic president over the past four years has been traumatizing to me and it has affected me. I'm trying to think of something that has affected me more. And there are a few things that have affected me more negatively. I'm talking about my walk with God, my view of the world and my view of the church. And so we've got to be able to talk about these things honestly and not pull punches if we're ever going to get to a place of beginning to be on the path of healing. Thanks again for spending some time in The Breathing Room, a space where people of color and faith can come together to have our lived experiences acknowledged, to witness each other's journey, and to take a collective deep breath. Be sure to subscribe to The Breathing Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. And if you like this episode, don't forget to leave a rating and a review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or send us an email at thebreathingroompod at gmail.com. For The Breathing Room, I'm Kevin Holland, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.